Welcome listeners to a brand new bonus episode of Oh My Word Podcast. And today, we have a really special treat because you can hear the voice and you're like, wow, I wish I could listen to that for hours and hours and hours. And you know what? You can because we have with us Nicole James, who is the reader of the End of Ever After audiobook. Out now. Everyone go get it. Please. Thank you. And then come back here to listen to the interview. Nicole, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. We're very pleased and very excited to have you. And I know I'm biased, but I still think the audiobook is fantastic. And that's why we must speak with you about how do you do this? How does this fantasticness come about? So here we go. How did you even decide that you were going to become like a reader for audiobooks? That's a really easy question. I mean, I'm trying to think of how much backstory to give you. So I've always enjoyed performance. I think for most narrators, that's a given. However, I was originally more into music performance and went to school for that, dabbled in theater, but never really saw myself doing a career in that. Anyways, you flash forward a few years and I was doing the music thing on the side, but my daughter is actually dyslexic, but loves stories loves to listen to them. I've had an Audible membership for years. We download a lot of books from the library, and every once in a while, she really struggles to find a book she wants to listen to and enjoys the narrator for. Just sometimes it's not a good fit. And one day she was frustrated. She was trying to find a book, an older book, with a good narrator. Couldn't find one she liked, and she goes, Mom, you should just read these books because I read her stories at bedtime every night. And it just sort of clicked in my brain And I wondered, how does someone even go about doing that? And so 100 Google searches later, and here we are. Oh, wow. Okay, so many follow-up questions. Number one, the musical thing. Are you speaking about musical theater or that you played an instrument? Instrument, actually. Oh, what instrument? Classical guitar. Okay, what's the difference between classical guitar and not classical guitar? Okay, so uh, most classical guitar music was written by people in Spain like 100 years ago. A lot of times it gets confused with flamenco. It's a little bit different. It's all very sad and melancholy sounding, and it's beautiful, and I love it. Okay. (laughs) Oh, wow. Well, because playing an instrument, that's very different than getting up and speaking, but... I think there's some similarities, though. Okay, yes. Because So check it out. So with classical music, at least, I was not a composer. So my goal was always to take this piece of music, maybe it was a couple hundred years old, and try to recreate the original intentions of the composer. Well, what is audiobook narration? You have a book that's written by someone who can write books, ideally, (laughs) (laughs) and you're taking it and the characters in it and trying to replicate the author's intentions. So I think that there's some really similar thought process that goes on there. The technical aspect is different, but I feel like there is some crossover there, and that's probably the best I can explain it. That makes a lot of sense. And then, okay, going back to the guitar for a second, you looked into the history of the piece of music, or you would look into a biography of the person who composed it, or is it just sitting there and trying to tap into whatever the music's telling you and then replicate that for your audience? So it, it really depends on how much there is available. So one of my favorite classical guitar pieces is called Capriccio Arab. It's by Francisco Torrega, who's a Spanish composer. And he wrote the piece, and it was supposed to be about a love story, about a young man who's traveling through some kind of unfriendly territory to go find this woman he loves. So he had a story, he had a specific geography in mind as he was composing this music, and 
having that understanding of, okay, this is a young man kind of trudging through some really hot weather and trying to get to this woman he loves. I think it helped me tell the story as a musician. I don't know if people listening to it understood that, but it sort of helps you with the feeling. And yeah, same thing for audiobooks. Who are you talking about? What are they feeling? You communicate it differently, obviously. Right. But... Yeah, I don't know if that answers the question. Yeah, I know we're supposed to be talking about the audiobook, but I'm getting distracted by this because it's very interesting. How did you get into classical guitar? Is this something that you hear at all these different things and this is something you fell into? Or is this something that as a child you had heard of it or had respected someone who did this and then wanted to fall through with it? Yeah. Well, my dad always played guitar, a lot of John Denver stuff, and I wanted to play guitar like him. And my parents got me guitar lessons when I was eight or nine but it was with a classical guitar instructor. And something about how that music sounded, just I really loved. And I really just sort of just got caught up in it. And it was my primary passion for years. I got a music scholarship to Western Washington University and did about a year into my performance degree. And I'm just gonna totally go sidetracking here. But what happened with that is after I'd been in in school for about a year, I became very, very sick and was hospitalized and diagnosed with systemic lupus erythematosus. The symptoms I had from that was full body arthritis. So I had to withdraw from the university for medical reasons and lost a lot of my physical dexterity. I can still play, but I, you know, life happens And I've never really gotten back up to where I was with that. Yeah, that's just sometimes how life goes. Yeah. But I still love the instrument and love playing and have had the opportunity to teach. And it's still something that I can do just to bring me joy or occasionally for people. But that's not where my life ended up going with it. So. And now here you are. And now you read audiobooks. And now here I am. (laughs) Yeah. Still doing an artistic outlet. Yeah. Anybody who's got the itch has got to find a way to get it out, to get it scratched. Oh, yeah, it comes out. It comes out. So other follow-up question, when you say with your daughter, I'm kind of saying this even though we all, we assume we all know what it is, that your daughter's dyslexic. Is that just reading is difficult because they're mixing up letters or is there something else there? Yep, it's primarily when she's reading. It sometimes kind of manifests itself when she's writing, you know, whether like her P's and Q's and 9's all get kind of mixed up or D's and B's. But mostly when she's reading, like trying to go through and do phonics lessons with her, it never worked very well. It was when she was little or she's 10 now, but it would be a puddle of tears on the floor. It was just so hard and took so much effort But she is a storyteller. I could see her writing someday. She has always loved telling stories, loved listening to stories that are more complex. So we turned to audiobooks because eventually she got to an age where she was still kind of trying to, I I don't know if catch up is the right word. It, It just hadn't quite clicked yet, but she wanted complex, interesting stories and interesting characters more than Bob and Sam went out. So that's really how we got into audiobooks, or we would check out books from the library that came with CDs mm-hmm. so she could follow along. Have you ever heard of, I don't remember if there's a specific name for it or not, but I spoke to an author. His name's Russ Thompson. He's on a previous interview. He writes books specifically for like high-low, so it's high-interest, low-level readers. 
and there's a font that his books are published in that's specifically for dyslexic for someone yes, who might be dyslexic. I have heard of that. Oh I yeah, have okay. Heard of that. Yeah, and it makes yeah. a difference. Oh, that's good to know. Yep. Oh, another fun thing is Kindle e-readers, and they make Kindles for kids now. You can even get them that are just for books. They're just e-readers. And there is a font you can put books in on your Kindle that is a dyslexic-friendly font. Oh, very and, good. And so that is an awesome resource. And a lot of comic books, too, are just kind of naturally in more of a fun font that seems to be a little bit easier on the eyes. Oh, that's interesting. It's also interesting because yeah. now there's a, there's been a very big push with graphic novels for younger readers recently. And a lot of writers, teachers even, or parents will say, oh, we're happy the kid's reading. But also, a lot of times, graphic novels are kind of like the gateway for you know for reading more books. But I never thought of audiobooks. It's so obvious, almost, that if someone's struggling to read, you, audiobooks, they can still hear stories and develop their minds that way. It's, like, so obvious. Yeah. I think audiobooks are fantastic for kids of all ages because, kind of like, there's a real crisis of, of people's attention spans yeah. right now. And audiobooks can help people sort of train to have a better attention span, really. Right, you gotta that, sit and listen. That and they're just so convenient, you yeah. know? I know so many people who will listen to audiobooks over reading the physical book just because you can have it in your car, you have it on your phone, it can kind of travel with you everywhere nowadays. Right. It's not just relegated to a CD. So I'm so, so glad that audiobooks have become so prevalent. It's great. Yeah, there's a, there has been a massive like boom of audiobooks recently. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, that's good to know. Okay, well, cool. Okay, now we can ask about the audiobook. The audiobook. The audiobook. Yeah. But you've done, so getting into it, what is your process starting from when you're actually looking to audition for an audiobook? Are you mm-hmm. just randomly scrolling? Are you looking under specific genres? What happens once you get started? How does all that work? Well, ideally, I love to read audiobooks that I would want to sit down and read for fun. And so your book definitely fell in that category. It was not the first Cinderella retelling that I've read for fun. However, it's the first one I've narrated. Woohoo! Yeah. <laughs> Winner! Yeah. Woohoo! Yeah. Yep. I, and I would be happy to do another one. I love, I love fairy tale retellings. But I guess my process would be, yeah, I, I hop on to, usually it's ACX, although I have, I do also look through Ahab Talent. And I look through the titles and read the descriptions. And then when I see something that catches my eye, I'll go to that book's profile page on Amazon. I'll read reviews for the book, maybe go to Goodreads and just kind of try to get a good idea. And if I'm pretty interested, I'll then read the sample that's usually available through Amazon. Then if I join it, our time is limited, you know, 24 hours in a day, seven days a week. So... Then at that point, I'll audition. So, but I would say I uh, I do tend to judge books by their covers. And when I see a cover that looks well done, that usually makes me click on it and start that process. That's actually, I spoke to a cover designer, Leo Nichols, and he said, do judge a book by its cover because if it's not a good cover, I didn't do my job. Which is like, yeah. oh, thanks for validating that for me. Like, I needed someone to tell me it was okay that I do that. Yeah, I thought the cover of End of Ever After is, is quite beautiful. It is. That's Caroline Andrews, the, the cover designer. She did the whole series. Yeah, she's amazing. And then... Yeah, they look great. And then once you got the job now and you're signed on, 
What did you at that uh, point? You get it and you read all the way through. Do you kind of just break it down chapter by chapter? You're making notes to yourself. How do you figure that part out? Okay, so I've definitely grown in how I've done that. I started narrating audiobooks this year, so I'm still very new. So I have learned the hard way that you really need to read all the way through. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Because you never know when it's going to come back and bite you in the butt if you don't. So I do read it all the way through, and every once in a while, I'll make notes here and there, usually for the main characters. I'll try to have voices for them before getting started. Sometimes incidental characters I won't have decided on quite yet, but main characters, yes. And then I just take it on one chapter at a time. Let's see, Amazon's ACX, you upload one file at a time. So that's how I record it. And then do you record it all the way through or do you sometimes take breaks in between or go back or like, how does that process work? So what I do is I I record all the way through the chapter, but I try to catch my mistakes as I'm going and then stop and re-record them. And then afterwards, go back and listen through the whole thing. So end of ever after, the chapters are fairly long. And so sometimes that process would be more of a a stop and go. I do my recording at night. Um, My husband works night shift, so it works out pretty well that the house is quiet when he's gone to work. And then I do my proof listening during the day. And I'm trying to work on maybe finding a new way to do that or just kind of balance my evenings a little bit better because I get a lot of interruptions during the day. But that is what it is and it's what it was for End of Ever After. Would you say kind of going back through the audio or editing out, would you say that's double, triple the amount of time of recording? or Absolutely. What's the made-up ratio you'd give for that? I've heard that for every one hour of audio, about six hours goes into it. That's fairly true, especially when you look at, so you have your read time, your record time, and your editing time. I'd say probably reading and recording are half, and then editing is the other half. So probably three hours per one hour of audio. Wow. It makes sense when you include that. Yeah. It's a labor of love. (laughs) Absolutely. See everybody what goes into this kind of stuff. This stuff doesn't magically appear. There's time and effort put into all this. Yep. Wow. And then I got to follow up. When you said that you got to read the story all the way through because it might come back to uh, bite you in the butt. Is there a specific experience you're referencing or is that, I don't know what. Oh, my brain's just mush right now. But say someone ends up being an evil character in the future, but you don't voice them correctly at the beginning of the book. And then you get that awareness that, oh no, this is a villain or something. You're like, oh, I've made them sound really nice so far. (laughs) Right. So that's an example. How do you keep track of the different voices you do? So a really good way to do is when I have kind of gotten a voice, I try to keep a separate audio file for each book that I work on so that I can go back and, and listen because, and this is one that I learned from experience too. Otherwise, If you get to a character that you haven't heard from in a while and maybe didn't have a very distinct voice, then you're kind of trying to get through your audio and trying to find exactly where they show up. So now I just keep a separate, I work in Audacity, which is a pretty basic audio recording interface or digital audio interface, but it, it gets the job done. So I just have individual tracks now for each character and The first time I get one of their lines recorded and it's been approved by the author, I just copy and paste and stick it in there so I can have easy access to it later. 
That makes so much sense. Yeah. Like I said, I, I learned that the hard way, trying to go through and find someone. Well, <laughs> yeah. And then some of the different voices that you're doing, unless you're specifically told, like, this is the voice. Are you just thinking of, like, oh, what haven't I done yet? Or just, like, you know what, this really feels like this to me? Like, how are you picking voices? When someone shows up in the book, usually authors will sort of give them descriptions. So in End of Ever After, the stepsisters, one of them is very musical and, you know, has a good voice. So you're like, okay, well, then they need to sound like maybe you'd want to listen to them singing or like that they could carry a tune. When I read clues like that, that helps me to narrow it down. And then, yes, sometimes authors will give a very detailed rundown. So I just finished another book. Well, actually, it just got submitted yesterday and... When I started that project, the author gave me a list of characters, and then a lot of them had been based on some of her favorite actors and actresses hmm. and wanted them to sound like those people. And that was a, a different challenge in and of itself. So sometimes I have a little bit more freedom, and sometimes I'm trying to replicate something but still keep it original. So the best thing to do is to look for clues within the writing, and usually there are some, but if there isn't, then it becomes very much a, what haven't I done already, and how much is this person speaking? That's another huge factor, is how much are they speaking? Someone's told, I don't remember who it is now, but they used a specific voice, but it was, I think maybe it was like maybe more gravelly or something, and then they didn't realize that that character was going to show up so much in the book, and it was like, that was not a wise decision. (laughs) Yep. Yeah, and then you've lost your voice and you lose time that you can be working on the project. Yeah, that does happen sometimes. (laughs) Are you usually working on multiple projects at the same time or like two at a time or or I don't know? Yeah, two at a time is ideal. I did have this fall though. I didn't finish some of the projects I was working on as quickly as I thought I would. And so I was wrapping some up while starting some new ones and... That was quite a bit to juggle, but made it through. But two at a time is great. So there's a balancing act of having the ones that you're finishing while still making sure you have something coming up for when you're done with that one. Because some audition processes take a little bit longer. Some authors will put you through multiple rounds of auditioning. Hmm. And yeah, sounds like you have a question. Yeah, I didn't know you could do that. Multiple rounds of auditioning? You can do that. You can't. You, you're in charge. You're the boss. You're the director of the book. You can do whatever you want. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I guess it, it also depends on, you know, if you have multiple choices. But sometimes when I'm putting a, the audio out there, I can't even almost describe what I'm looking for. But when I hear it, then I know what it is. So, you know, yeah. you could kind of describe, oh, I know I want more of a voice that's lower in pitch versus one that's higher in pitch or mm-hmm. this kind of accent, that accent. So sometimes you could describe that, but so far for me, for all the books I've done so far, it was just when I heard it, it was just like, oh yeah, that's it. I'm well, sold. That's then. a great yeah. system too. <laughs> well, it's just faster. Well, I don't want to say it's faster, but the multiple audition process makes sense, but I'm almost like, I don't even know if I have the patience for that. It's like, come on, let's get this going. You know, let's get this uh, happening. So Yeah. I think sometimes, oh, I can't even remember what it is, but sometimes if you go to the ACX homepage, kind of the landing page for authors and narrators and publishing companies, you can see how many titles are available for audition and how many thousands of producers are available just on that platform. And the ratio 
I mean, anytime you get hired for a book, it's just like, wow, there's so many people that are on here with me who are trying to do this. It's a real honor. But I think that sometimes authors will get so many auditions for their books because there's so many people who have heard about the voiceover and narration thing. Maybe they're getting started. I think it sounds like an easy gig. You're really competing with a lot of people. Yeah. I've actually been curious. Can you see on your end how many auditions there are for a book? No, I can't. Oh, that's I'm good glad. Yeah. You'd be like, one out of 57. I don't know if I should try that one. Yeah, I think not knowing is definitely in the narrator's best interest. Yeah. I wonder, because I don't know what the narrators see. I obviously only see from the author's page, whatever our thing is. And then... Just because I've always asked this of each of the readers, have you ever thought, reading through this fairytale retelling through Cinderella, did you ever think of, you know, Cinderella would be a little bit better if this was changed or that was changed, or retells were just kind of something that, oh, this genre exists, or is it something you're always like, I wish they would have changed this about the story? Oh, that's a great question. Okay, so you're asking if there's something that I, prior to reading any Cinderella retellings, would want changed? Yeah, because you said that you like reading retelling. So before you even got into it, had you ever thought, you know, either watching any of the millions of adaptations they've got or, you know, have you you ever thought like, you know, this story is great, but I just wish they had changed that? I'll be honest. I enjoy the genre, but haven't thought about that more myself. And I think that that just goes back to the, I'm not a writer. I mean, at least at this point, I know that there's a lot of narrators that branch out into writing. You read enough stories and you get some ideas. I just enjoy it. I love seeing what each author brings to the table. In your case, I really enjoyed the classic Cinderella retelling and can't think of anything that I would change that maybe you didn't. Right. I really liked the kind of the exploration into her feelings and that she really goes into this bout of depression and then how she's still like limping along at the palace going through that i thought that was just great oh yay i mean not yay that she's depressed (laughs) but i didn't realize it because when i had first written them i was sort of calling them anti-fairy tale retellings and then my editor yeah yeah, and then my editor pointed out that it's kind of like a memoir style almost because yeah because it keeps the story there yeah so I was like, oh, yes, you're yeah. correct. Genius. I'm so glad I'm working on this with you. You get it. Yeah. <laughs> she finally gave me the words to say like that after the first few had come out. And I was oh, that's exactly what it is. Thank it you is. so much. And I know there were a few times when I would say something like, are you sure this is how this word is pronounced or da 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 whatever? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But so, you know, not talking about those ones, but as a general thing from any of the audiobooks you've done, did you ever come across a word that you're like, what is this word? And then you hear it and you're like, oh, I do know that word. Or it's, is that really, you know, that you have to double check it and you're like, what? Yes, I have. So I'm working with an author who writes historical fiction. Oh, wow. And there are some words that come up from that time period. The book is written in the time period of women's suffragists and that whole movement of women getting the right to vote. Some of the words just to describe maybe things that they're wearing I've never heard or read in my life, so I go to Google a lot for that, but (laughs) more with your book, I think it's that classic phrase, have you ever heard that anytime someone pronounces a word wrong, don't be too hard on them because they probably learned it by reading? Oh, yeah, that's me, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I'd say I fell into that category with your book where it would go, oh, I've been reading that wrong in my head my whole life. Awesome. Well, let's fix that. (laughs) Yeah. 
there were a few times I did that for the readers and it was just because they would say it and I'm like, is that really how it's pronounced? And then I would go look it up. And then sometimes I was right. Oh no, we pronounce it a little bit differently. And then sometimes I've been wrong. That's how you pronounce it and listen to it. I'm like, oh, I've been doing this wrong the whole time. Well, this is yeah. educational. And then sometimes you'll have United States pronunciation versus European pronunciations yeah. or just a regional. It's really kind of a fun thing to learn more about, definitely. And sometimes those words get used a little bit more often and you can add them to your toolbox. Or when I see one come up again that I know that I've relearned, I go, oh, I know you now. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. You almost develop a relationship with those words that you relearn. Yes. It is a benefit also of the audiobook to like, oh, yeah, that's how the word is said. Because definitely when you're reading it, you make it up. Oh, yeah. It seems correct to you. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's why audiobooks are such an amazing educational resource especially for kids, because they're hearing the word said correctly, because we've had authors who have gone, uh, mm, no, yeah. <laughs> it's just another educational benefit. Like I said, I, my daughter listens to audiobooks every single day, and it's helped her reading, even though she's not always following along, because she's hearing, she's getting exposed to words pronounced correctly used in context, and I just don't have enough good things to say about audiobooks. I love being a part of it. <laughs> Amazing. It's even just as a general thing that reading more or just, you're also, you're seeing how the words are used, right? It's, it's I'm going to bandwagon on that and just be like, reading and books are amazing. So <laughs> Yeah. That's a good place for us to do sort of a wrap up, even though, I don't know, I feel like I keep talking now. This has been so good. Oh, Let's, thank you. Yeah, yeah, it's been fun. <laughs> but we'll wrap up just because everyone needs to go listen to the audiobook, obviously. Yes. So we have to give people time for that, apparently. I guess so. <laughs> yeah. I guess so. It would be selfish not to. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> it's for the listeners. So we always wrap up with that film of blank of, I love it when, whichever one, I love it when writers, you can do illustrators, authors, publishers, book series, narrators, whatever that falls into the book world. Even covers can do anything like that, do X, and I really don't like it when they do X. How would you fill in the blank for that? I could fill in the blank a lot of different ways. I do really like it, though, when I kind of have a framework for developing some of the characters. Like, sometimes you'll get that as part of your audition. That's helpful. As far as other narrators, I like it when narrators are great at sound effects within the books. I just think that's really entertaining. That's a good one. <laughs> we've, yeah. we've been listening to The Lord of the Rings by Andy Serkis, and they're just incredible because he's the voice of Gollum in the movies. Anyways, I love it when narrators are just so good at those sound effects and those accents and those weird voices. It's just something to aspire to, really, for me. Yeah, wow. And then what was the other one? It's kind of the opposite. you don't like? Yeah, I really don't like when whatever does X. Oh, okay. That's easy. And I haven't come across it that much. But what I would say is when you get hired for a project and then the author is just kind of a ghost... You never really hear from them. You don't get any feedback, really. They're just like, okay, move on. Hmm. And, I mean, it's not that I don't trust my own judgment for bringing the book to life, but it helps so much more when it feels more like a collaborative process, in my opinion. Yeah. I enjoy the dialogue that goes in the behind the scenes, the back and forth emails, and just kind of getting to know the person behind the book a little bit more. And when everything is just fine and there's no corrections for a chapter or just no feedback, good, bad, or otherwise, I don't like that. I feel like it's a very one-sided relationship. Yeah. Well, have you had the opposite of someone who's giving you like way too much feedback of 
Can you just be happy with something? Why does everything need to be corrected or not necessarily? <laughs> yeah. um, I, I know one author who might think she fits into that category, but that doesn't <laughs> bother me at all. And I would so much rather that than the opposite. So I haven't hit my threshold for too much pickiness yet. I hope you never do. So yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> me too. Yeah, amen. Okay, cool. Very, very good. Nicole, it's been amazing to speak with you. I'm so glad we got to talk. Oh, me too. This was fun. I was nervous about it. You know, everything I do, usually talking wise is recorded and I can edit it and delete it and all of that stuff. So I was like, oh, <laughs> this is yeah. great. Yeah. You almost sound like a writer because we always also, we can edit our, what are our words like 40 times before we have to put them out there. And then when we speak, we're like, wait, where's the edit? Like, how do we get yeah. edit this? We need to do that. Exactly. This has been a bonus episode of Oh My Word podcast featuring audiobook reader Nicole James. To find out more about Nicole and her work, please visit the link in the episode notes. To find out more about Oh My Word Podcast and keep track of all the great stuff we're up to, please follow us on Instagram at Oh My Word Podcast. Check us out at eltenenbound.com. Music is by Tim Burke. Thank you so much for joining us. Talk to you next time.